0: Go with me, if you would, again to our text that we looked at yesterday, because these things I'm talking about now, they mesh in with what I uh, began talking about yesterday. First Timothy, the sixth chapter. Anybody love the Bible in here besides me? Oh, praise God. The Bible is wonderful. It contains the words of God, which... Those words contain the thoughts of God. How precious are God's thoughts? So precious. They're life itself. In First Timothy, the sixth chapter, we read this yesterday. Let's look at it again. This is our text for our study this week so far. In the sixth chapter and the twelfth verse, First Timothy 6:12. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Why don't everybody say that out loud with me at least two or three times? Fight the good fight of faith. Think about it when you say it. Fight the good fight of faith. One more time. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith, he said. He went on to say, lay hold. On eternal life, for unto thou art also called and hast professed, or that word also could be translated, confessed, a good profession or confession, before many witnesses. We, we emphasize these three uh, concepts here in this verse, fight, that first word, and then later on in the phrase, uh, in the verse he said, lay hold, and then thirdly, he, he talked about professing or confessing, fight, lay hold confess now these are not just suggestions are they when he says fight the good fight of faith the understood subject there is you and so he's addressing someone so what's he saying he's saying you fight the good fight of faith you lay hold is that right now uh, this isn't just Paul talking to Timothy only is it this is the Holy Ghost through Paul talking to Timothy, and not just talking to Timothy, this is the Holy Ghost talking to you, talking to me. His words are just as real and vibrant and alive and applicable today as they were then. This is not a suggestion. Did you know, you know, some of the modern translations, some, some of them are good and some of them are not so good. Some parts of them are okay, some parts of them are not so okay. Thank God we've got the Holy Ghost. Thank God we've got some good tools today. We can look up words if we need to and. And uh, some modern translations, though they'll on, on a verse like this, they'll some of yours might say it. I don't know, uh, but but sometimes they'll say uh, like uh, Timothy is being addressed by Paul, and he'll say, "Timothy, uh, try to uh, lay hold on eternal life. Uh, try do the best you can in the faith endeavor." <laughs> a lot of times they'll use that kind of terminology. Try. Uh, you know endeavor give it in other words give it your best shot but that's not what the actual text said the text just said do it I don't know there's a difference between do it and try <laughs> because you know to, to, to tell somebody uh, try you already are implying they may not be able to do it right and it may not be your fault if you can't come through. But you know, give it a good shot. But that's not what the Lord tells us. When the Lord, te- the Lord wouldn't tell you to do something if he didn't know that by his grace you could do it. And so if the Lord does tell you and I to do something, then don't even debate about whether you can do it or not. He wouldn't have told you to do it if you couldn't do it. For instance, things like walk in love. He didn't say try. He said do it. Is that right? Oh, I better not say that. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> Something else I thought about saying. Uh, but you know, the Bible says many things. It says do them. Right? Do them. Didn't say try. Didn't say endeavor. Just said do it. This is one of those things. He said fight the good fight of faith. He say try. He said do it. Now, as we were talking yesterday, there is a fight. We have an adversary. Uh, we read over in 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. You don't have to turn there, but you can write some of these things down if you want to. 1 Timothy 5, where he said, uh, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil. He's going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. Resist him. So you have an enemy, don't you? You have an adversary. He, he's out looking uh, to find a, an opening, trying to find uh, some way to destroy you, to steal from you, to kill uh, you, kill part of your air, life or part of an area of your life. Uh, he's a destroyer. That's what he's looking for. He's a raid against you. I think sometimes people kind of have the attitude, you know, well, I, I don't like to fight, though. You know, I'm just not a fighting person, and Mr. Devil, if you'll just leave me alone, I'll leave you alone, okay? You know what he'll say? He'll say, okay, okay. You say deal, he'll go deal, and you turn around, and he'll nail you. Can you make a deal with the devil? Sure you can, yeah you can, yeah. Sure, he'll make any kind of deal with you. He doesn't care. He'll say anything, he'll sign anything. But if you expect him to keep his word, then you're not very bright. Cuz the Bible has told us what he will do. Right? God told us. So there's no such thing as you say, "Well, you don't don't bother me and I won't bother you." He's going to bother you. Anyway, that he can. Now there may be times when he will leave you for a season, but he will be back. So I said, "Don't don't prophesy that over me, brother Keith. <laughs> this is life. All right?" Brother Hagen said some years ago, a fellow came up and said, and said he was just virtually in tears, and he said, "Oh, brother Hagen, brother Hagen, pray, pray, please pray." He said, "He what what what?" He said, "Pray that I won't ever have any more trouble with the devil." <laughs> He said, Well, he said, uh, he said, you want me to pray that you die? And the guy said, No. He said, Well, that's the only way you're never going to have any trouble, more trouble with the devil, is if you die. Because as long as you're down here, he's down here. His cohort, cohorts and workers and operations are down here. And so, any way he can, he's going to cause you trouble. But good news greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world and if the Lord is for us with us in us before us behind us under us over us who can be against us now see the question there is is, is not so much can anybody come against you he is going to come against you the question there is who can be against you successfully who can overcome you who can beat you See, the issue is if God is for me and he and I are together, then in order to really beat me, they'd have to beat him too. So the question is, who can beat him? Nobody. You know, let's say if you're playing, uh, you're on a sports team or whatever, if you got somebody on your team, then in order for them to beat your team, they got to beat them. you got some tremendous players. Even if you wasn't that hot of a player, if you've got several other people in there, tremendous players, well, in order to beat your team, they got to beat these guys. Not just you, they got to beat them too. Well, God's for us. And that's what Paul said. He said, if God's for us, who can be against us? Nobody can successfully. But see, now, all of this is based on the premise that you're going to fight. Amen? that you're going to resist, that you're going to do the word. Because I don't care who's for you, if you give up and quit, then you're going to be defeated. You're going to be defeated. You know, the Bible tells us over in uh, 1 John 2 that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation, he's the appeasement, the satisfaction for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. That word advocate uh, carries with it the connotation of uh, attorney for the defense, somebody who represents you. How many believe we got the best defense in the universe? Is that right? You know, Romans 8, we quoted about, you know, if God's with us, who can be against us? Later on, just a few verses in that same passage, uh, he said, uh, uh, you know, who's going to condemn us? Who's going to bring anything against the charge of God's elect? And he said, "Not, not the Lord. He's the one that justifies us, not God. See, God's for us. The Lord Jesus is for us. So the Bible tells us that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Well, that word intercession, so many times when we hear intercession, we just think praying in some form. But really that word intercession is pretty much a legal term. You know, if you've got a lawyer who's interceding on your behalf, he's pleading your case, he's defending you, how many understand that that no matter how good of a, an attorney you have, if you don't fight the thing yourself, you're not gonna win. Is that right? Let, let's say that you, you know, you got charges brought against you, and you got the best defense that there is, but you don't want to fight it. He comes and says, Hey, we got this case, we got it. I got everything right here, you just work with me. And do what I tell you to do and everything's going to be fine. And you just say, oh, I'm tired of fighting. I, I, I just don't want to fool with this. I'm just, you know, next time it comes up, I'm just going to take the stand and plead guilty. I'm tired of this. You won't fight it. What's going to happen to you? I don't care who your defense is. If you get up and plead guilty and just quit, then you're beat. Now, see, that's the way it is spiritually. I mean, we we got everything going for us. Spiritually, legally, we're redeemed. Our sins have been paid for. Our Father is the righteous judge who sits on the throne. The Lord Jesus is our brother and our master and our attorney for the defense. We got everything going for us. We got authority in His name. We got His Spirit in us to help us and strengthen us. But you still, you've got to have something from us. You know, I think some people don't realize that. You've got to give God something to work with. Are you with me? You know, I've worked with people that you might call basket cases. No hope. Hopeless situations. And there is no such thing as a hopeless situation if somebody will work with you just a little bit, if they'll just work with you a little bit. But I don't care. I have a... I have talked to people, I have worked with people uh, in situations where that they're down and out and just coming out off the street, and I've, I've talked to people that are doing that on a regular basis and have for years, and I don't care what kind of program you have, I don't care what kind of grace is upon somebody's life to help people, what kind of gifts of the Spirit, what kind of revelation. You can take somebody from the lowest dregs of humanity, and God can help them and put them on their feet and bless them and make something out of them if if big if they will work with you they've got to do something but you take somebody that won't do anything god himself can't help them now that's a strong statement but see god has set things up in such a way until he um, uh, to the point he requires something of you Now sometimes people are at a point in their life where they don't have much to give but you can give what you got. And I don't care how small it may be, God can take that and use it and do something with it. You understand? I mean, you just take financially. God wants to bless you, but you've got to give Him something to bless. You know what I'm saying? I've seen people so low, they had, they had to pull a button off their shirt and put it in the offering plate. Well, that's something. I said, that's something. (laughs) You might say, that's pretty low. Well, yeah, but there's always something you can do, if you will. But now, if you're not willing to do the smallest thing that you could do, then you're not going to be helped. You know, sometimes people pray just in an agony. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help. Oh, Lord, help me. But you know, that's not really what they mean. What they mean is, oh God, do it for me. Do it for me. Do you understand there's a big difference between help me and do it for me? Maybe I'll see if i got another sermon up here to preach today. <laughs> Some of you don't look like you like this one too good. No, this is it. You understand? I don't care what you're talking about, don't care what you're talking about. You are going to have to do something. You have to give God something to work with. I don't care if you're talking about breaking a bad habit, coming out financially, coming out physically, I don't ministerially, don't care what it is. If I if I said today, you know, I need I need about six or eight guys. To help me move this piano Would you help me move this piano And you raised your hand I said okay uh, come on and, and, and everybody came up And then I went over here And I sat down <laughs> and, I, and I said go ahead go, go on ahead Move it right over here Well now did I use the right words In asking you What should I have said would you come move this for me? Because if I said, come help me, what do you think? I'm going to, you know, if, if you're going to be helping me, i got to be doing something for you to help. If I'm doing, now, 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 if we just were real technical about this, if I said, come help me, and I'm here sitting on the chair, what should you do? I'll sit on the chair. That's what I'm doing. Is that right? If I'm doing nothing and you're going to help me, what would you be doing? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) So what a lot of people don't realize is God has been answering their prayer big time. (laughs) They've been hollering, help me, and he's been helping them. But they're doing nothing, so if you help somebody do nothing, you just got more of nothing. <laughs> you know, the Holy Ghost is called the Comforter. That, word mean, uh, that word's from the Greek word paraclete. It literally means one called to one's side to help or to aid. That's why, also, you'll see him the, a name for him is helper. Actually, if you wanted to take one word that kind of summed up all the meaning of paraclete, it'd be the word helper. The Amplified Bible gives you seven different names for it. But you really, if you just, if you just summed it all up, it'd be helper, capital H. Helper. And oh, can he help? I mean, and, and do you need help? Oh, yes. I assure you. You need help with everything, and I need help with everything from, you know, uh, making our bed to combing our hair to driving down the road to making decisions. You name it. We need help with it. Is that right? But help means what? Help. Help. (laughs) Not doesn't mean He's going to do it for you. You can't just lay in the bed and say, Oh, Holy Ghost, help me get up help me. Get well, you got to move. Is that right? you got to move. If you, if you will start that way, he will help you. If you'll believe, he'll help you. But if you just sit and do nothing, there's nothing to help. Is that right? He'll help you break habits. He'll help you. Get away from things that's bondage to you, but help means you're doing something. And then he will add to what you're doing his grace, his strength. Bless me, Lord. Well, what are you setting your hand to? What is there for him to bless? Do something and, he'll, and then you have something for him to bless, for something, something for him to increase. Everybody say, help. That's, the, that's a different thing from God doing it for him. Now, one reason I'm bringing that up is because we're going to talk about something that he'll help us with. And how many believe he'll help us in this faith fight? Yes. Oh, no question about it. And we need his help. We have to have his help. But helping means we're doing something. We're doing something. Uh, Go with me over to John, the 8th chapter. We're talking about some of these things, and let's look at them. Now, yesterday we talked about that there is a fight. There is a fight. You've got to resist the enemy. You've got to resist the works of the enemy. Sickness and disease is a work of the enemy. The Holy Ghost said so. Jesus said so. You find it throughout the Word. Jesus called sickness and disease satanic bondage. Over in Luke 13, you read about it. Uh, The Holy Ghost, over in Acts 10, 38, he called sickness and disease satanic oppression. Over in the Psalms, the psalmist called sickness and disease a work of the devil or a work of Belial. Some folks say Belial. It's pronounced two or three different ways according to which scholar you read after. Work of the devil. Satanic bondage, satanic oppression. If you believe the Bible, you have to come to the conviction. The sickness and disease is of the enemy. Well, if it's of the enemy and it comes your way, you should resist it. Not give place to it, not yield to it, but fight it. We read to you yesterday from this uh, medical report that these professionals and research individuals talked about the benefits and they weren't talking any scriptures, they weren't talking anything about faith or believing God they just talked about the benefit of somebody who will fight a disease and they gave some, some uh, examples of people uh, that had very similar problems and the ones that fought it are still alive and the ones who didn't are dead, very similar situations, they should have come out the same but it makes all the difference in whether you're a fighter or not I've seen many people over the last you know, 10 years or so. People that are sitting in the same chair that some of you are sitting in. People that the doctors told you only have a few weeks or a few months to live. But they're alive today. I can tell you I can tell you about case after case after case, but I tell you every one of those cases I know of and can think of, I tell you this about them, they're fighters. They're fighters. They wouldn't quit. They could have given up. They could have quit many times. Many times they got weak. They had to go through things they didn't want to go through. They could have given up, but they didn't. And they wouldn't. And they're alive today. It can get rough. I said, it can get rough. It can be hard. But God is with you. And if you won't quit, He'll give you victory over it. I like what the psalmist said. Psalm 118, verse 17. He said, I'll not die but live, and declare the works of the Lord. Psalm 118, verse 17, I will not die, but live. That's a fighting spirit, isn't it? (laughs) I'm not going to die, but I'm going to live, and I'm going to declare the works of God. There's a reason why you're here, we were saying yesterday. You have a purpose for your existence. You need to be real honest with yourself. Have I really finished my course? Have I really done everything that I need to do? A lot of people hadn't even got started good yet. A lot of people haven't even found out what they're supposed to be doing. Some people need to make up for lost time. Much less think about checking out early. We all want to go to heaven. Amen. Amen. And if the Lord tarries his coming, we're all going to die and get to go. and That's great. But we're here for a reason. Let's get the job done now. I know I I grew up in the south, in the country, rural area. You probably couldn't tell that, but (laughs) I thought I'd let you know. And uh, we always had gardens. Now, when I say garden, I don't mean a little six-by-nine thing in the backyard. I'm talking about acres, acres. And we didn't do it with machinery. No, this machinery right here. (laughs) oh boy and as little boys my brother who's three years younger than myself and I we could always think of things more exciting to do than go to the garden and hoe or pull corn or pick beans are you kidding (laughs) I remember one summer oh I'll never forget it we wanted some extra money so my mom said I know how you boys can get extra money. How? Well, a certain place in town, which is a little small town, about 15 miles away, they're buying cucumbers to make pickles out of. And you boys can have a plot of ground over here, plant you an acre or two of cucumbers. How many know that two acres are a lot of cucumbers? <laughs> if you're going to pick with your hand. And I had no idea you got to pick those things two or three times a week. Oh, boy. And they want them when they're little, you know, to make, make the dill pickles out of and all that stuff. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's 100 degrees in the shade. Humidity is 95. <laughs> and so we'd be out there sometimes, and we'd get to talking about something and looking around and wondering, and Mom would say, All right, boys, be plenty of time to talk when the work's done. Get back with it. We'd get to playing around on something. She said, All right, boys, get back to work. When you get through with this, then you can play. Well, how many understand there'll be plenty of time to fellowship in heaven, plenty of time to enjoy those things, plenty of time to enjoy our rest from our labors. But right now, we're in the field. And if you didn't know you're in the field, I'm telling you, you're in the field. <laughs> I said you're in the field. You're supposed to be working. You're supposed to be, you know, either sowing some seed, or pulling out some weeds, or taking care of some plants, or harvesting. Is that right? Yeah. You're supposed to be doing something. How many of know there's a lot of different jobs connected with, with the, the farming? Oh, sure. See, there's some people never even get out into the field, actually, but they stay at home and cook the meal. Some people work on the tractor. But it's all goes to, see, we call these ministry of helps. you see, peripheral things. But unless they're doing that, the other folk can't do their job. But all of us have a job that is directly or indirectly affecting the harvest of souls. And that's what the Bible said the Lord's waiting on. He's waiting on the precious fruit of the earth. When all that comes in, he's coming back. Sooner we get it done, I guess the sooner he'll come. So that's what he's waiting on. So don't just get tired of life and say, and something come along and attack you, some physical problem, and say, well, you know, I guess we'll just let nature take its course. See, a lot of what's just called nature is the enemy. It is not to just be yielded to. It's to be resisted. It's to be fought with every fiber of your being. You know, God made you that way. Do you know he made your body that way? When something attacks your body, your body won't just take it laying down. I mean, the, uh, the, your body has immune systems and backups. And if some foreign something gets in your bloodstream, man, all these uh, uh, blood cells will attack it. Do you know that? I mean? I mean, it's amazing. Your body's designed to fight off. See, God made it that way. It's not supposed to be sick. It's supposed to be healthy. When it's, when it's not healthy, something's wrong. It's abnormal, you see. And, you know, that's what doctors and, and, and you know, the development of medicine and their procedures and what have you, they're fighting sickness and disease using natural things to fight it. But, you know, they can fight it and help fight it with you. Your body naturally can be fighting it, but all that can be to no avail if you don't have a heart to fight and a will and a mind to fight. I'm telling you, friend, you can live and not die. You can be healed and whole and strong, but it doesn't just fall on you. If it did, everybody'd have it. If you want something different from what other people are getting in the world, you're going to have to do something differently. You're going to have to have a different perspective and a different heart. Can you see what Paul was saying among other things when he said, fight. Don't lay down and let the enemy run over you. Don't lay down and let cancer take you out. Yeah. Don't lay down and let financial problems put you under. Yeah. Fight it. As yeah. long as you're breathing and God's on the throne, don't give up. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. 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 Yeah, but I've, seem like I've gotten knocked down for 95 times. Well, that ninety-six time could be the one. Get up. Yeah. Hit it again. Yeah. Amen. One thing for sure, if you just stay at it, the Lord's already given you his word. He told you he would always cause you triumph. Amen. Listen, and that's based upon the, the assumption that you're going to stay with it. You're going to stay with it. You know, you find all kind of admonitions in the New Testament where he said, cast not away your confidence, right? Amen. We're made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast or all the way to the end. He said, don't get weary in well-doing. In due season you will reap if you won't faint. I see, the Lord didn't just say things to us for no reason. He knew we'd be tempted to get weary, to get tired, to get discouraged, to give up. But he's telling us, don't quit me. Don't quit me. If you'll stay with me, I'll stay with you. You'll have victory. You'll have victory. Again and again, when people were defeated, it wasn't just that the devil was so big and so terrible that he just overcame them and there's nothing they could do about it. They quit. They gave up. They quit. They really weren't defeated until they quit. They might not have realized it. The devil will tell you you're already defeated. It's too late. But you're not defeated until you quit. Do you understand? Have you found John yet? Gave you plenty of time. John 8. Now we were talking about this issue of must I fight? Do I have to fight? What's the answer? Well, if you want to live, you've got to fight. If you want to have victory, you've got to fight. Is that right? Yeah. If you want to be healed, something attacks you, you've got to fight it. Got to. No choice about it. But we want to talk about this area, exactly who and what am I fighting? Because people don't understand. Exactly who am I fighting? Exactly what am I fighting? Well, we know, we've already read this, you know, that we have an adversary, the devil. So you know the devil. You're fighting him, in a, in a sense. But uh, I think sometimes people really get confused about these things and mixed up. And they get into some fighting that's not effective. Hold with me right here. Go to 1 Corinthians 9. I think you'll get more out of John if we'll look at this first. 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Verse 26. 1 Corinthians 9, 26. He said, Paul is speaking here by the Spirit. He said, I therefore so run, 1 Corinthians 9, 26, I run not as uncertainly. And so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's talked about running the race. He talks about fighting a fight. Did you know, I, this is very interesting, that the word that is translated over in um, Hebrews 12, that talks about run with, Patience, the race that is set before you. That word race is the same word that could be translated fight. Same word. Or it's often translated struggle. Well, how many know that in one sense a race is a fight? Is that right? You're pushing against the wind. You're pushing against fatigue. Is that right? Pushing against gravity. Is that right? I mean, it's a, it is a struggle. Struggle is one of the best words. Well, see, a fight's a struggle. Over in Ephesians, he talks about wrestling. Well, that's a struggle. Sometimes struggle might be, you know, it might be a more wide, cover more territory with that word uh, in people's minds if we used it. A struggle. There is a struggle in these things, but it's a good struggle. It's a struggle of faith. Amen. The reason it's a, one reason it's a good struggle is because we've got real good help. Amen. We got big help. The greater one. And we're already told the outcome. If we won't quit. I mean, I mean, the score's already on the board. If we won't quit. If we won't quit. If. Won't quit, if, if. But, here he, he makes a statement. He said, I don't run uncertainly. And I don't fight like somebody beating the air. Now, uh, all, from, from the time I was just a boy, all through my uh, school, junior high, high school, and after high school, I was involved in sport fighting myself. And I don't care how good of a technique you think you've got. I don't care how strong you might think you are. If you don't hit your mark... It's not effective. Is that right? I mean, you can throw the best punch. You can throw a textbook perfect punch. You can throw one that's got a lot of power behind it. But if the guy, you know, moves, then you just beat in the air. Is that right? And he may beat you while you beat in the air. You understand, beating the air is is no good. Right? You'd been better off not throwing that punch, saving your strength for when you could have connected. Because I don't know whether you know it, but if you know anything about fighting or not, that's that's a tactic that the guy will try to get you to wear yourself out. You know, you keep throwing all these real complicated techniques and wearing yourself out, and after a while, he's going to start picking you off, you see. You get tired and can't hold your hands up, and it gets easier to hit the mark no, <laughs> I don't know what you—you you may not know what I'm talking about. I have been so tired before fighting that I'm thinking, "Get your hands up, get your hands up, and they go about like this." Come on, hand, kaboom! Come on, hand, boom! And all the people go, boo, boo, "Boom, boom, pull them apart, fight!" Yeah, you'd have been doing that round one. <laughs> You get tired. You get tired. But beating the air is no good. Do you know a lot of what people call fighting in the spirit is nothing but beating the air? A lot of what people have done in the name of spiritual warfare and warring is just beating the air. You know. We don't want to get caught up in just some religious hype. We want something that will find its mark. Amen. Something that's going to get the job done. Something that's going to be effective. If you're going to fight, I found this out. If you're going to fight, fight. I don't know if you know what I mean or not. You know, in natural situations, I'm this way. Now, I don't believe in vengeance. The Bible said vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You understand? Somebody does something to you, you try to get back at them, that's vengeance. But if you can defend your family or your home some way and keep something from happening to them without just trying to hurt somebody unnecessarily, then, you know, you have somewhat, especially the man of the house, has somewhat of responsibility in that area. Say what you will. Jesus said if the man of the house had known what hour the thief was going to break through, he'd have been there and wouldn't have let him. Oh, yeah. How's he going to stop him? Just say, please don't come in? <laughs> you understand? But now I wouldn't, I wouldn't you know, I, I've done enough fighting just in the sport that I wouldn't, I wouldn't swing at somebody unless i meant to do the job. I don't know if you know what I mean or not. Don't play with it. To me, to me, it's not, you know, if you talk about, you know, you see guys talk and bellow at each other and carry on, but, you know, people that know how to fight, they don't do that. They fight, they're going to fight. Somebody's going to get hurt. Well, how many of the devil's serious about hurting you? Do you understand that? He's serious. And you need to be serious about that. what I'm doing is not just going through the motions of some, what somebody's theory is about uh, fighting, but this is effective. It's going to come against what's hurting me. The Bible said resist the devil. Right? Fight the good fight of faith. And people will get stirred up about these concepts and, and man, people have done everything... Uh, from screaming tongues for hours to putting on combat fatigues and boots and sweating for hours. You understand? But is that actually being effective? Or is it just beating the air? Some things that people do in the name of fighting spiritually just beating the air. Now, see, that's sad. Because while you're beating the air, he's beating your head. And it's obvious from some, I know some sad cases of people that considered themselves tremendous spiritual warriors, and boy, the devil just beat them to a pulp. I mean, they fell right and left and messed up and hit the bottom. You understand? While they were thinking they were making so much headway, uh, they're getting whipped. We don't want that to happen to us. The Bible said we're not ignorant of his devices. Well, that's only true if you're knowledgeable of what he said. Depend and, and listen to what the Spirit of God gives you. Go with me, if you would, over, you're there in 1 Corinthians, go to 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. He talks specifically about warfare and fighting in this passage. 2 Corinthians, chapter 10. And you understand why I wanted you to go to 1 Corinthians 9. We're not going to beat the air. Right? Let's connect. If we're going to do it, let's, you know, if we're going to pray, let's pray effectively. If we're going to confess, don't just throw a bunch of confessions out there and hope one of them hits. You know, the Lord told me several years ago, he said, Son, if you'll learn, I don't mean to hurt a voice now, just inside man He said, Son, if you'll learn to be more selective you'll become more effective. That's in the way you pray. That's in your confessions. That's in what you say and do. Eliminate that which is not effective and focus and concentrate on what is. I don't care how wonderful and flowery something sounds and how nice it looks if you put it on a plaque hanging on the wall. If it doesn't work, I don't want it. Don't care. Yeah, but my mama always believed this. Well, did it work for her? See, a lot of times people don't even look at that. Well, I've just always believed this way. Well, maybe you've always believed wrong. It's possible. Is it effective? Does it work? I am guarantee you, God's Word works. If it's really doing what He said, it is effective. If it's not effective, you're not doing what He said. You're missing it somewhere. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. He said, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Warring after the flesh would be the same as beating the air, wouldn't it? Is that right? (laughs) You know, I've actually seen people do that. Flailing their arms. Screaming and yelling and sweating. What are you doing? I'm beating demons. (laughs) Looks like you're beating the air. Things that are spiritual must be dealt with how? Spiritually. Is that right? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. If you're going to worship God, he's a spirit. How you got to worship? In spirit, in truth. If you're going to deal with the enemy, he's a spirit. How you got to deal with him? In spirit. Is that right? Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not natural, but they're mighty. We do have weapons. This is not just imaginary. We do have weapons, and they're real, and they're powerful. Amen. Glory to God. The devil's scared of them. And he ought to be. But they're not natural. You can't put, in the, put it in a holster. You can't put it in the trunk of your car. You can't mount it on your hood can't put it in your pocket can't even see them or touch them but they're real i said but they're real they're mighty through god to the pulling down of strongholds a lot of people stop right there and it's where they make a mistake they immediately in their minds jump to the thinking about strongholds in heavenly places that's not what this said I said that's not what this said. What did this passage say? To the pulling down of strongholds. What's the next phrase? Casting down imaginations. You know, there's there's a major place where strongholds are, is between people's ears. Did you know that? That's the major problem location of strongholds strongholds of thinking, wrong thinking. And then if you can break through that, and people can see the light, the truth will make them free. Is that right? right? Now we're getting to the real struggle, the real spiritual conflict. It's not a matter of trying to see something or... Feel something or flailing our arms or sweating. There is an enemy. He is arrayed against us. There is a conflict. But how does the enemy attack us? And how do we retaliate? How do we respond? How do we resist? How is it done? Just by screaming and yelling? How is it done? Well, notice, let's keep reading, casting down imaginations. Everybody say, imaginations. Amen. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought, thought to the obedience of Christ. Notice those two words, imaginations and thought, are thoughts. Now hold that in your thinking. Go with me to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. What am I talking about today? Fighting. A good fight. A faith. Is that right? Do you believe there is a fight? All right. But now we're talking about how this fight occurs. Because I'm telling you, a lot of people are confused about this. Ephesians 6. Now you know this passage, many of you, but let's look at it. And try to look at it without your charismatic glasses on. Just try to look at it with no glasses on. Don't, don't, don't put your Baptist glasses on or your Pentecostal glasses or Lutheran or Methodist or Catholic glasses or even your charismatic or word and faith glasses. Just try to look at it. <laughs> like you've never seen it before and hear it like you've never heard it. And you know, because there are always things in verses that you had not seen yet. Amen. That you had not heard yet. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, so you can lay on the couch and do nothing. Now, why, why do you need strength and power and might? Well, among other things, you've got to fight. We've already been told that. Put on the whole armor of God so you can go to a picnic. You don't need armor unless you're going to fight. fight. That you might be able to stand against. Stand, now notice this phrase, stand against. Now see that phrase implies something's coming. And you're standing against it. Like there's a, there's a barrage of attack and you resist it and stand against. Instead of letting it push you back, you stand against it. Stand against what? The what? Wiles of the devil. Now, wiles may not be a word you've used a whole lot, but it basically means craftiness. The devil's a schemer. He's tricky. Very, very tricky. Now, I hope you're getting this. See, the devil doesn't just pull out his whole tank regiment and face you off face to face and nose to nose and say, I'm coming. No, that's not the way he fights. How does he fight? He's tricky. He's tricky. Like I've already said, he'll say, let's make a deal. Don't need for us to fight. But he's, he's planning, he's scheming, is that right? He's always trying to trick you, always, and he always will. Just settle that in your heart and mind. The devil, everybody say that out loud, the devil, the devil is, trying is trying to trick me. Do you understand that? Now, a lot of times people think, well, I'm too smart for him to trick me. <laughs> In and of your understanding, that's not true. The devil's been around for a long time. All his cohorts have been around for a long time. He's tricked human beings for centuries and centuries. He's very accomplished at it. He's found things that work. you understand? He knows exactly what to say, how to say it, how to come, how to approach you. You know the devil will use your language. He knows charismatic talk. Do you know that? Oh yeah. He'll talk to you about faith confessions. He'll talk to you about, you know, the things that are appeal to you, but he's always trying to trick you. Always. You need the Holy Ghost help. Don't you? You know, the, a lot of times in life, the, the enemy's trying to trick you through a number of different ways, and it sounds all right to your head. It looks okay. Sounds fine. Looks good. But if you'll pay attention, you have a check inside. So the Holy is smarter than you are. You know that? And you can know things by, by revelation from him. You can know things in your heart that your head doesn't know. And your head can say, I don't see anything wrong. It looks fine to me. But if you check your heart, there's something, you can't quite put your finger on it, but something's not right here. Oh, the wise person will trust what they get in their heart. They'll trust that leading. And if you can do that, the Holy Ghost will save you again and again and again. I don't know at the time. I don't know at the time. I was just about to step right into something. Looked good, felt good, sounded good. And. uh, I got a check." And I thought, well, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Looks good. If you ask other people, you say, what do you think? They say, oh, it's good, it's good. <laughs> and, and, and finally just say, well, no, I don't know, I, I can't get settled on it. Something's bothering me about it. Not in my head, just in my heart. Got a check. Do you know what I mean when I say a check? If you don't, don't don't give up on it. Just stay with it. You'll get it. And so, sometimes just step back, and I mean, no sooner than I did, a trap door fell open. (laughs) And you think, thank God. But see, if I'd have just been going by my head, I'd have been in there. Do you understand what I'm saying? That your head's not smart enough to stay ahead of the enemy and figure everything out and outwit him. You match wit against wit, you're going to get defeated. Oh, but there's a greater one. Lives inside of you. He doesn't live in your head per se. He lives in your heart. That's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. And all of your ways. How many? All of your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Not by audible voices, not by open visions, but primarily by that inward witness. You'll just have a knowing, a sense of apprehension, a check, we might say, or a peace about it, a go-ahead. You should be led by that. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. Romans 8 says. And the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Romans 8, 16 says. Let's keep reading. We're going to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the wiles, the trickery, the craftiness of the devil. For we wrestle not, our conflict or our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, man, you've got to remind yourself of that about at least two or three times a day. <laughs> I'm serious. Because if, if, you, if you don't and you listen to the enemy, he'll tell you brother so-and-so is your problem. He'll tell you your wife is your problem. He'll tell you your husband. He'll tell you that boy is your problem. Your son, your daughter. He'll tell you your mother-in-law is your problem. He'll tell you your boss is your problem. Won't he? Yeah. Oh, some of you are looking at me funny. But you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. He will tell you that that flesh and blood yeah. is your problem. Yeah. Not, yeah. But what's your real problem? The enemy. And if you get to warring against flesh and blood, you're in the flesh. Is that right? Struggling in the flesh. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh Corruption. It's not what you want. We're supposed to walk in the Spirit. Deal with things in the Spirit. A lot of people don't. But he said, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and and that we could say like this, the day of attack, and having done all to stand. He said again, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And he goes on and says, pray for me. Armor, wiles of the enemy, stand, withstand, and stand. Now you understand this armor he's talking about, you can't order out of a catalog. Is that right? You can buy in no church bookstore. Amen. Is that right? Amen. How many understand if somebody's got it on, you can't see it in the natural? Is that right? How do you put it on? You can't put it on with your hands. Nobody else can put it on with their hands. How do you put it on? By receiving it in faith. By faith you put it on. Now did you, I want you to notice this. What is the first piece of the armor he mentioned? Having your loins girt about with truth. Now that ought to tell us something right there about the nature of our conflict and warfare. Shouldn't it? What's the first thing he said do? First thing you do is get your girdle. And not girdle like you're laughing about. We might call it a belt, and this is something that's tough. That if a blade happens to get through, this will help stop that blade. Clasp that thing up real tight. Your loins. Well, see, the Bible says, "Out of your belly flow rivers of living water." So this is actually talking about what the Bible refers to as the heart of man. since so many times when people say heart they think blood pump but no, hearts many times has the connotation of like heart of the melon. That's the middle. Heart of the tree, the innermost part. Heart of man. So protect your heart. Gird about your loins with what? Truth. Then that tells you something, doesn't it? We take these other pieces of, of armor, breastplate of righteousness, uh, put on the, the, the preparation of the gospel of peace, Take the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit. And what did he say the enemy is going to be throwing at us? Fiery darts. Well, this is not something you can see, though, is it? But what, I mean, if he tells us to put on truth, righteousness, faith, what must be coming at us? Lies. Lies. Did you hear me? The principal weapon of the enemy is deception. Now, see, this is spiritual warfare. You understand? This is not a natural thing. It's spiritual. Deception and lies. And if the enemy can, he wants to build a stronghold of deception in your mind and in your thinking and in your believing. So that the truth can't get through to you. Do you know, I've told people, I've tried to tell people that God wanted them healed. It was His will to heal them. Sickness wasn't. It wasn't God's will. And they wouldn't believe it. I couldn't penetrate that stronghold of unbelief in their mind. They wouldn't let me. They held on to that. that well, yeah, but I just. we were always taught this in the church I came from. And I just always believed this. And yeah, but, I, but this and yeah, but that. What about people like that? Well, they don't get healed. And then sometimes people say, well, see there, they were a good brother or sister. It must not have been God's will to heal them. No, it was God's will. But the same thing even with salvation. I've talked to people about the Lord, and they just wouldn't, they wouldn't hear the truth. Well, I believe there's many ways to God. Well, I just believe if a man will do the best he knows how, you know, and just try to be a good man, try to do good things, you know. The Lord understands. Yeah, he understands you're going to hell. <laughs> now, I don't say that, but I'm, I'm just telling you. There are not many ways to God. Jesus said, I am the way. And man's not saved by good works. There's many, oh, it's so sad, but there's many a man and woman that's religious, that goes to church, that's a moral individual, that'll wind up in hell. They did good deeds. But good deeds don't save you. Faith in Jesus saves you. Can you say amen? Amen. So if these people are perishing, the enemy is defeating them, isn't he? He's taking them out in this warfare. But how's he doing it? He's lied to them. He's deceived them. They believe it, and they're defeated. Listen to this, friend. Lies blind and lies bind. How does the enemy blind his opponents and tie up and bind his opponents? Through his lies. And he's ever so crafty about it. If there's, any, if there's anything as a, as a good liar, do you know what I mean by that? A proficient liar. Oh, dear Lord. He is it. He's the ultimate liar. I've had people lie to me before, and I mean, you, you, it just made you want to say to him, you know, you know, just look at him and say, "You are good." <laughs> I don't remember when I've seen such a good liar. I mean, you keep a straight face and just look a person in the eye and lie like it's going out of style. You know, God hates lying. He absolutely hates it. He abhors it. That's not my word. It's his. If you read in Proverbs and different places especially, he hates lying. You can see why. Where does it come from? The, the devil. Uh, you still got your place in John? Go there and look then. You guys are doing a good job of listening today. I commend you. You know, it makes a lot of difference how people hear as to what kind of utterance the minister has. A lot of difference. A lot of difference. You guys are pretty good hearers. In John 8, you know what's said here. Let's look at it again. Jesus said in verse 31, John 8, Jesus said to the Jews that believed on him, John 8, 31, He said, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What makes you free? What makes you free? Fruit. The truth. Then what should get the glory? You're kind of hesitant on that. Because you, you're thinking, well, the Lord should get the glory. Who is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way. The truth. Right? Jesus said, he said this, he said, uh, talking to the Father in prayer, he said, thy word is truth. So when you say the truth gets the glory, that's another way of saying the Word gets the glory. And who is the Word? That's another way of saying the Lord, Jesus, gets the glory. We should elevate the truth above all. And the truth should get the glory. Because who is the truth? The Lord. That's elevating the Lord. You know, the Holy Ghost is called the Spirit of truth. Is that right? And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Liberty, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free, free because he is the spirit of truth, the spirit of liberty. Praise God. Praise God. So when you said, the anointing set me free, what did you just get through saying? The truth set me free. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. The truth. The truth. See, it's not just somebody laying hands on you that set you free. If you got free, it was the truth that set you free. It's not just somebody praying over you or for you that sets you free. If you got free, the truth sets you free. These things are merely vehicles for communicating the truth and releasing uh, our faith in the truth. I know that I'm freer today than I was a couple of decades ago. Can anybody here bear witness? Oh, yeah. Glory to God. I know I am. And no, no think about it. I know. I know I'm freer. But you know, I'm not as free today as I'm going to be. Why? Because I don't, I don't have revelation of all the truth there is to have. And if I know more truth, how's that going to affect me? Make me freer. Is that right? Well, That gives us something to look forward to, doesn't it? That's exciting, isn't it? Uh, well, a couple of years ago, I was in a church and holding a, a several-day meeting in another state. And about the third night of the meeting, man, we had, we had a service. I mean, God moved. God just came into place and showed up, manifested himself. and uh, his pastor, we came back in the study, and we just sat down, and we didn't want to talk for a while. We just sat there. And about the only thing we said for about 30 minutes was, Glory to God. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then somebody would say, Glory to God, glory, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's what we did for some time. Anybody know that that's fun? That's fun. If that sounds boring to you, you ain't been there. And now, uh, Finally, the pastor said, he, after, after a while, the pastor looked at me. He said, you know, before this meeting started, I thought I was free. <laughs> he said, but I'm freer now. <laughs> Glory to God. Well, what makes you free, though? Truth. The truth, the Lord, the Spirit, the Word, saying the same thing. Amen. Is that right? It's manifested many different ways, but you're really talking about the same thing. Have you ever heard something? I mean, you know, I I have before. I've been sitting in service and heard truth. Sometimes it wasn't even so much just what the what the minister said. But the Spirit of God got something across to me. I saw it. Man just made you want to just jump out of your chair. You thought, my Lord, I've been believing a lie for X amount of years. And if that's true, then this can't be true. And this can change in my life now. What set you free? Truth. But not just the truth. You had a revelation of it. You saw it. I said you saw it. But do you understand? Before the Lord can get you to see it, He's got to get you to hear it or look at it, and He's got to get you to think about it. Can you see that? That again and again, when light came, The Lord was able to get your mind on a certain train of thought to get you thinking about that, and then he showed it to you. Well, I don't know whether you realize it or not, but the enemy works on the same vein. He's always trying to give you a revelation. And he's tricky. Oh, he's tricky. He'll quote verses, mix in with it. You know the devil quotes scriptures? Some of you looked at me funny. Did the devil quote scriptures to Jesus in the wilderness temptation? Sure he did. Quoted it right. Quoted it correctly. Then tried to misapply it. And the devil will take advantage of people's ignorance. He'll take advantage of what you don't know. And try to slide something in on you. That's why you've got to trust the greater one inside. Don't just go by your head. Check your heart about it. Go with with your heart. Go with what he gives you in your heart. But the devil's always trying to give you a revelation. A revelation that will minister darkness to you. A, A revelation that will blind you and bind you. Something that you see and believe and accept. Something like, you're doomed. This is meant to be. You're gonna die with this. Oh yeah. And see, the thing is, he'll always try to work God into it, some one other. Yeah, this is God's will. Don't even question it. Don't challenge it. Just go with it. And if you believe that, you're immediately blinded and shackled to it. Even if the devil quotes scriptures, you've got to do like Jesus. The devil, you know, uh, Jesus said, it is written, it is written, and defeated the enemy. And then the enemy said, well, you know, it's written. And Jesus said, yeah, but it's also written. I mean, you got to know how to say it's written, and you got to know how to say it's also. It's also written. I've had people come and say, yeah, but now, Brother Keith, this is in the Bible. And I say, yeah, but this is, and this is, and this is, too. No, you don't just take a half of a verse you don't understand and build you a doctrine on it. It's amazing the uh, mental gymnastics people go through to find something to support their particular opinion or theory that's not right. But what did Jesus say? Read with me down in the uh, 44th verse. John, I'll close here just real soon. Jesus said, you are of your father the devil. Talking to these religious leaders. He said, the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Wouldn't stay in the truth. Left the truth. Because there is no truth in him. Now, you you know you know this, if there's no truth in him, if he tells you something, what's it going to be? I mean, if you've got a carton and there's no milk in it, there's just orange juice in it. If you pour out of that carton, what you going to get? Orange juice. And if something comes out of the devil, he's got no truth in him. Will it be any truth? No. No. When he speaks a lie... He speaks of his own. One translation said this, when he lies, he speaks his own language. For he is a liar and the father of it. These fiery darts Ephesians mentions, you understand, all this is just symbolic, this armor. These, these arrows, these this helmet, this shield, and everything. This is symbolic. We don't actually see it. We don't actually have these pieces of things physically that we do. Just he's he's using this language to help us to get get a point across to us. And yet, I think sometimes people take these types too far. You understand what I'm saying? And you, and you see somebody actually doing this. What are you doing, brother? Just in my breastplate of righteousness. <laughs> no, brother, you're you're in trouble. <laughs> you, you need some help. How do you? Let, let's just start with right that. How do you put on the breastplate of righteousness? You got to get a revelation. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. You receive that, and you don't ever let it go. The devil will tell you, you're unworthy. You're no good. You don't deserve to receive anything. And you've got to say, uh-uh. you just got to let that lie bounce off of your chest. Yes. Why? Because you say, I'm righteous. Amen. No, no. Yeah, but you sinned. You missed it. You messed up. Yeah, but I've, I've confessed my sin. It's under the blood. And I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. Amen. You don't have a right for God to hear your prayer and do anything for you. Oh, yeah. I've been made righteous. Yeah. Not by my works, but by the work of the cross. I'm made righteous. Yeah. See, when you got that on, those lies and deceptions just bounce off. Yeah. Just bounce off. Yeah. Yeah. Glory. 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 Right? Amen. And you got your loins gird up with truth. Yeah. Truth is holding you together. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Truth is holding you up. Yeah. Amen. Amen. How do you put on the helmet of salvation? Well, do you believe you're saved or not? You know, I've seen, I've seen people whose head is in a mess. Because the devil's got them doubting their salvation. They're going, oh God, I don't know. I thought I was saved. Their helmet's not on. Because if their helmet was on, by faith, you understand, it's not a, not a literal helmet, but just by faith, if they held on to that, then the lies that you're not saved just bounce off. They say, oh, you're crazy. I'm saved. If the devil ever tells you you're not saved, ask him how he would know. Have you ever been saved, Mr. Devil? Are you saved? Well, you have no idea what salvation is. Right? It's amazing to me, you know, that some of these people, bless their hearts, I know they just don't know any better, but some of these people, They've never been filled with the Spirit. They don't speak with tongues. They've never been used in the gifts of the Spirit. But they write books on how we're not supposed to do it. Did you hear me? You know, somebody's going to write a book, they'll know something about what they're talking about. Of course, you don't have to. That's obvious. I mean, there are volumes around. You see, so many people are so vulnerable. Because they don't have a conviction of their righteousness. They don't have a revelation of it. They don't know a truth. They they know very little of the truth of God's Word. They They don't have faith. And so when the devil shoots a lie at them, it just goes right into them. And they believe it and are deceived and blinded and defeated. But when you got, when you, when you believe and you got your armor on, spiritually speaking, these things bounce off of you. The devil can lie and lie and you just say, forget that. I, I don't believe that. Oh, yeah, oh you're not going to make it. And you say, you're a liar too. I'm going to make it. No, you're going to die with this. No, I'm going to live. You'll never be any better. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's mine in Jesus' name. Yeah. You're going down. You're not going to have the money to pay that bill. Oh, yeah, it's coming. It's mine. I've, I've received it by faith, and it's on the way right now. Yes. Amen. But you see, if you don't believe truth, then those thoughts will come to you, and you'll get over in the corner and cry and go, Oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. You've let one of those errors get in you. And the reason it got in you is because go- loins weren't girded about with truth, didn't have revelation of these things. We're going to get into some things tomorrow. Unless the Lord leads me in another direction, about exactly how we uh, do this fight and how we do our part in the struggle. But I think you can see already that it has largely to do with our thought life—what we let ourselves listen to, what we let ourselves think, what we let ourselves entertain. That's how the enemy gets things in on you, and he always slick. Oh, he—he's very, very tricky. He'll lace his thoughts in such a way that it looks okay, it looks right, but it's a lie. How can you be sure? How can you check things out? You've got to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Take every imagination. You you know, like one individual said this, and it showed their background, I guess, but they said every mind ought to have a bouncer at the door. (laughs) What does that mean? When the thought comes in, knocks on the door... You look out to the peephole and you go, where do you come from? Now the devil's a thought to say, oh, we're from the Lord. You say, oh, really? What are you? What are you, thought, what are you a thought of? And, the, and when, you, when you see, then you, you should check your uh, Bible computer. Enter that thought in there and check it, see if it checks out. And you say, oh, no, no, no. You don't agree with four different verses here.